All right, this morning is the second Sunday in Lent, and I want to kind of remind you of the progression of the first Sunday to the second Sunday. Uh, Bishop Sean preached so well. Uh, Archbishop Sean is also Bishop. Archbishop Sean, they're back there over there. They're back there, sitting back there, and uh, did a great job last week. And I want to remember that the first lesson of Lent is there's the call to bring our flesh under subjection uh, uh, to what to better and holier things. And so there's a great need. I mean, Jesus didn't have any sins, and yet he fasted. And in the context of his emptiness, in terms of his uh, feeding his flesh with food, uh, it created an environment in his humanity, though there was no sin in the way, for his humanity to experience and to be prepared for battle with the demonic uh, and for the anointing of the Holy Spirit for his life and ministry. And what a powerful thing uh, that went on there and is an example for us. And so uh, that's the first lesson is the need to, to buffet our bodies or to bring our bodies under subjection uh, to the Lord. The second is, uh, and the lesson for this week with the readings is, part of the progression in Lent is to recognize and to be conscious of our weaknesses. Now, I don't know about you, but my pride or whatever, I, 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 particularly as a young man, and the older you get, you can't really bluff nearly so well as you can as a young man, but uh, I didn't know I was even bluffing to myself, but I, I didn't like to acknowledge if uh, uh, someone asked me, you know, uh, I didn't have many job interviews, but if you had a job interview, you know, what are your weaknesses? You know, I just hated to even think of such a thing, let alone to bring them up. Uh, and yet, it is crucial that we have an understanding of our weaknesses because the knowledge of our weaknesses allows us to appreciate our need, which then drives us in, in profound ways, to ask and to seek and knock for the grace of Jesus. So, there's a couple of things I want to put in background this morning. One of the influential writers, particularly in America, I don't know about Europe, but in America, uh, who is now dead, but uh, was probably, uh, you know, probably of the caliber of a Protestant saint. I read that and I think it's probably true. Almost everyone that I've read and really enjoy has been influenced uh, in the last 30 or so years by a guy named Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard was a professor of uh, philosophy at University of Southern California. He was a Southern Baptist uh, guy and just a brilliant uh, thinker and, and, a, and a person that took seriously the spiritual life and I um, taught a whole lot of people and I've benefited greatly through his own writings and then the writings of many people which he was a mentor. I mean, it's amazing how many people he fathered spiritually uh, and the impact that he's made. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about desire, the difference between desire uh, and the will and uh, he wrote a very powerful article uh, about uh, helping men deal with the issue of pornography. And this is some quotes because it was the, some of the simplest places uh, that I could find it. But if you Google Dallas Willard on desire and will or whatever, or uh, a very worthy article, it's only a few pages, but incredibly uh, helpful. Uh, and you can Google it and find it quite, quite quickly. But desire is, of course, something that I want. Uh, and I want it so... Uh, you know, we often don't realize that there's anything else going on within us. We desire things, and we live in a day and an age in which people think that their desires are what should rule our lives. I, I feel like it, I want to, and, and so those desires are how people operate, and we uh, haven't learned well uh, not to uh, also pay attention to our wants. And our wants are, our will has the capacity to discern between lesser goods and better goods. So, for example, let me help this out for you. Um, if, if I go for lunch and I get to the menu, my desire might say, oh, that salad looks nice. But my want comes in and said, oh, but there's better choices. 
There's the hamburger. Or for some of you, it would be the opposite, you see? Meaning the want of you is able to discern between not just your simple desires, or, or if someone says you can have every now and then, if I'm really good, we get cupcakes. Uh, and, and, uh, and they'll say, you know, there's the red velvet cupcake, and there's the tuxedo black uh, uh, Black tie, excuse me, yeah, the black tie, which is choc- I mean, is a chocolate cake with white icing, or, or there'll be different choices. There'll be, uh, um, you get the idea. I always choose the red velvet, uh, you know. So you, you, have a, you have desire, so I desire all the cupcakes. In fact, if there was only one flavor, I would eat it gladly. But because I have a will, I can discern between different desires and make the choice for something better. All right, so this morning, a consciousness of our weakness is we have to learn to distinguish between what we desire, which is something which is the base level, level is using things for our good, irrespect to love. So the difference in desires is we desire all kinds of stuff. Our desires aren't necessarily evil. Thank you so much. Our desires aren't necessarily evil, but they can be because our desire functions at the level of those things of which... Uh, we use and dispose of at our convenience. And that's why Paul writes in Thessalonians this morning, uh, you know, don't uh, give in to the lust of concupiscence in the, uh, the King James. And it's uh, the strong desires. Don't give in to your desires uh, because your desires and your lust sexually, what that does is it just, your, your desire just wants what it can for itself. And it's got no respect. It has no respect for love and for the ideas and teaching of God who calls us to something bigger and better. So, so Paul says, hey, don't you know, uh, God has called us to holiness. And so, and there's a judgment that's coming. And therefore, we need to pay attention to our desires, but we have to make some decisions with our wants. We have to discern between desires and choose better choices. Uh, so he says something like this. He, he gives the illustration of, of a chocolate cake. If I make it a strawberry cake, the illustration would work better for me because I like strawberry more than I like chocolate. Um, or an orange cake. But in any case, uh, we might say, uh, and I love chocolate cake, but it would be the chocolate cake would not feel loved as it would see me approaching with my knife and fork. Right? I love chocolate cake in a sense that I plan to use it for my purpose, not to its good. All right? So there's desires that we have, but when they're basically just operate on what we're going to use for ourselves rather than determine. I mean, if I love the chocolate cake, I wouldn't eat it and destroy it and uh, eliminate it, right? There'd be, there'd be the, something would be different. And that's uh, the key here. And so Paul's talking about this. And Paul is asking, Willard uses three categories that are helpful for both the epistle and the gospel this morning. He says, if we're going to grow and change, there's three features that we need to have. We need to have a vision. We need to have the vision glorious. We need to know there's a bigger and a better way to live. And so we need to be called uh, in our relationship with Jesus and his word uh, to begin to long for and to want better things. So if you look and if you could put up the epistle this morning, just briefly, if you have it, this is in the new uh, living because it's just a little simpler. He says, "Uh, finally, dear brothers and sisters, it's just brothers in Greek, but it's a common gender language. It implies brothers and sisters. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. How did they teach? How did Paul teach them uh, uh, to follow God? They taught them by receiving God's salvation and grace by faith. And then Paul taught them how to be sanctified, which is to abound more and more in the love and the presence of God, that by faith that we would continually be presenting our bodies, our souls and bodies, that we'd be pursuing God in his word, 
through fasting, through silence, through disciplines, meditation, memorization of God's word, that we would be doing activities that would allow us to be transformed and to encounter more and more of God's love. There's no way to resist temptations if we don't have a bigger vision for something better and more glorious. So we got to have the vision that there's a better way to live than simply giving into our lust or our desires. Uh, and so our will needs to be strengthened. Our will is strengthened uh, in our pursuit of Jesus. One of the ways the will is strengthened is participating in communion and encountering the body and blood of Jesus manifested by the Spirit. Uh, this is one of the great ways, the sacraments, one of the great ways uh, to be strengthened. Uh, hearing God's Word, memorizing God's Word, reading God's Word, uh, being obedient, doing the things that we can do, asking God for the power and the grace to do the part we can't do. All right? So remember, one, a great quote from Willard, he says about grace, he says, grace is not opposed to effort. There's a lot of effort required in the Christian life. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Okay? Grace negates the idea that we could earn anything. We can't earn anything, but it takes effort. And that's what we're going to see in the gospel in a few moments. So he tells them, you live this way already uh, in verse 1, the end of verse 1, and we encourage you to do so even more. For remember what you taught you and by the authority of our Lord Jesus. God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Um, I remember, I've told some of you, no, I, my grandmother, I don't know why, but as a little boy, she would sit me on her lap and she would read me the Proverbs. And she would explain them to me at the level of five, six, seven, eight. But I remember one, uh, and I didn't understand it exactly because she, the, 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 the verse was, don't even go down the street of the prostitute. And she didn't explain what prostitution was. But what she said is, what this means is, sometimes if you get too close to something, you'll do something wrong. And for some sins, the only way not to do them is to stay off that street. Don't get close to it. And so she explained. So I got the principle, even though she didn't explain to me the prostitution part, she did explain it. And that's a principle that works for a whole lot of sin. It can help, at least, with a whole lot of sin uh, and as part of a means and a process. So he calls us to holiness. Uh, that's the vision. Those people with a strong intention and those who learn the means, uh, those instrumental means of communion, God's word, reading God's word, memorizing God's word, uh, praying, worshiping. There's all these different things, uh, many things, and those become the means by which as we apply ourselves not because our efforts will change us, but because God deserves our best efforts. He meets our efforts with his grace more and more. Our efforts are never big enough in the grasp to change ourselves. But when we reach out in our efforts to please God, he meets us in the power of the Holy Spirit and he transforms us. All right? And so this is the vision uh, that he gives us. And then he reminds us, and it's, since it's, it's so easy to read in the New, uh, in the new Living, God's will for you, verse 3, is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Uh, there are days uh, uh, that I was so tempted to pornography, I knew I can't even open my computer. If I open the computer, I'm gonna be, it's, it's too strong. For some reason, it, it, felt, it just felt like I was out of control. So I knew I can't even open the computer today. All right. Now, luckily, we learned, I learned a lot of other things uh, about my soul, what I needed, and and being angry, and different things that, re that really helped me. But, but imagine recognizing to stay away means uh, to not open up in various ways of opportunity. Um, you've heard, I'm sure, when uh, we were in India, and uh, the Holy Spirit was moving in a revival in India, and, and the guy said to me, do you see what's happening uh, up at the altar area? And uh, I couldn't see. 
because uh, of my eyes. And he said, go over there and look. And I went over to look, and there was offering plates, and they were filled up. And at first, I didn't know what they were, but they were, they were the uh, SIM cards. And he said, all the young men, are, are, they're, they're putting their SIM card because that's where they store their pornography. As the Holy Spirit was moving, no one told them to do that. But as the Holy Spirit was moving, and they were repenting and, and getting right with God, they removed those things that would be an open door uh, for those uh, sexual sins, uh, one of the open doors for them. So he says that each of you will control his own body. There's different ideas what vessel means there, but we'll, I'll just let the new living say it this way. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in, King James, the lust of concupiscence, but uh, not in lustful passion. Uh, like the pagans who, who uh, I mean, how do you know it's lust, by the way? How do you know it's uh, the same word for the first part, that lust, can mean love. It can mean a good desire or a bad desire. How do you know? If it's insatiable, if your desire for food or your desire for sex or whatever, if it's insatiable, then you know you're in a lust rather than a, a healthy desire. Okay? Because there are natural desires, things that need to be met in life. But part of how you know it's not appropriate is you never get enough. If you never get enough, then you know uh, that it's a deeper issue of the soul that needs to be addressed by God's transformation and grace. So, then he says, this is good to be read, just to be reminded. Never harm, verse 6, or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife or husband or their future wife or husband, right? For the Lord, and this is, this is a big warning. I mean, can you imagine saying, the Lord himself is keeping track. For the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules, we have churches and denominations who say it's no big deal. It's a big deal. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you, meaning it's Holy Spirit, not some other kind of spirit. Now, if you would turn to me with the gospel this morning, I want to talk about the progress of transformation and change. There's a, there's a vision, there's a strong intention, and then there's some means given along the way for the Canaanite women. Woman, not women, but woman. So in the 15th chapter of Matthew, Matthew uh, is telling us about Jesus who was having arguments with some of the religious Jews. And uh, the Pharisees, sort of that camp of people, uh, they're arguing because his disciples don't want to do all these different ceremonial hand washings. And Jesus is telling them, that's not in the Bible, that you hold to the traditions of men, meaning the things that the rabbis have added, but you don't pay attention to the scriptures. And then he gives them the example of how they, uh, the money that they're supposed to be using to take care of their parents in old age, they're claiming that they're giving it to God, and they're violating God's word. And he gives them other examples. And so he's arguing, and, and he's sort of upset with all this stuff. And so Jesus moves from Israel, and he goes up into the area of Tyre and Sidon, which is Lebanon, and Syria. And he goes up to these ancient cities which were known for their wickedness. And strangely enough, he meets up there a Canaanitish woman. Now, at the time of Jesus, those were areas what we would call they were Hellenized. They had all kinds of people that had been uh, transformed into live like Greeks. Uh, and they weren't good people. But Matthew's use in, uh, in the Greek, which you can't see in New Living, it just says uh, pagans or whatever, but, but, but uh, Matthew's use tells us that she's Canaanitish, meaning that she is from, in the Bible, the Canaanites 
were some of the worst, nastiest, idolaters, wicked people that they were moving out of the promised land. And, and uh, uh, their wickedness, the Bible says, had finally reached its fullness uh, when, the, when the Jews began to get the exodus out of Egypt and then began their journey to, uh, in 40 years, to, to take over the promised land. Of course, it went on longer than that. But, but uh, the Canaanites were bad. So for Matthew to tell us this, this probably tells us she's a rural woman and she probably uh, has a background in idolatry and other things. Uh, it's not a good thing. This is about as uh, un- uh, unfavorable sort of word to be used to describe the woman. We're thinking the worst possible thing uh, in, in that sense. So uh, here we go. Turn over to the Matthew. All right. Then Jesus left Galilee, verse 21, and he went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman, which again it says in Greek Canaanite, uh, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading. Now, now the first step here, she has a daughter. Let's get ahead of it. She has a daughter that is oppressed and struggling by the power of a demon. Now, what's interesting, of course, is, is that this is not considered to be silly or, or a joke or, or something that never happens. Rather, we understand from the story Jesus took this very seriously. And do you know there are people today uh, that struggle uh, with the powers of evil spirits in different ways? Uh, Francis McNutt, who has recently died, maybe in the last three months, uh, he wrote a book, and he said he believed that, that 85% of the spirits that people dealt with, they were born with, that they were familiar spirits, spirits that the generations had opened up, and that people, uh, without ever necessarily doing anything in particular, experienced those things, and that they grew, and their authority in people's lives got bigger and bigger based upon us uh, sinning and going along with what the demons want us to do. Uh, and, and so how can you say 85? I don't know. But if someone had a right to say it, he did. Uh, he was a, a very profound exorcist and a guy who understood spiritual things. So, so imagine at least a whole bunch of things people are born with. Uh, uh, we were just uh, at our uh, kind of a sister church as a Southern Baptist church in Hell Plantation, Rivercross. So we were there on Tuesday night and uh, Pastor David had preached on deliverance on Sunday and uh, we came and we had a healing service and we focused on deliverance. And it was amazing to see people who had been tormented with thoughts and anxieties and fears and obsessive, compulsive thinking that they couldn't stop that uh, wasn't necessarily only a demon, uh, but it wasn't less than a demon. And without getting that splinter out, they couldn't get their minds to be still. Um, So uh, beautiful things. And I've told you before, my anger and and having a major deliverance with a spirit of anger, um, far too old than I would, you know, I was in my 30s and and I thought that was, Susie would say, you've got an anger problem. And I'd say, I'm not angry, I'm intense. All right? so I, I thought it was a good thing. And then the Lord revealed to me in a prayer session, this isn't a good thing. This thing that you've loved all your life and you've nursed and you thought, it, it's not a good thing. But I can't, I can't tell you the freedom that came. Now, I was scared to death uh, of being, having someone pray for me at that time because that anger part of me, I thought, was the best part of me. I thought, if that leaves, what would be left? I thought, I had this sense that I would implode. Like, the, 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 imagine if you thought this best thing of your personality actually isn't a good thing, it's a bad thing. And so I was afraid to let Ken pray for me because I thought, you know, what would be left? Uh, that was the enemy talking, of course. But nonetheless, uh, a few days later, okay, maybe a week or so, I finally got my courage up because I knew I didn't want a demon uh, and... and, and uh, in me. So I went, and when he prayed, it was so simple and beautiful, because my will didn't want it. 
And because I understood the power of the cross, and Ken praying with me understood the power of the cross. And when it left, all the beautiful and good things that it had been squeezing out of the way immediately took the space. And, and my fears of what would be left, uh, they, they seemed ridiculous right after, because immediately gentleness and kindness and good th things began to grow in me that had been, didn't have room and space because I'd given authority to that spirit of anger or spirits, I'm not sure, but it was a lot. Whatever it was, it was a big thing. Uh, but when it was gone, praise the Lord. doesn't mean I would ever get angry, but I can tell you, I don't get angry and live there like I used to. Uh, there's a natural uh, emotion of anger that's not a sin or, or anything wrong either, but, but I had it in a different kind of way. So she's pleading with Jesus, and the first thing, Jesus put some hurdles up. Can you imagine that, 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 that Jesus could put some hurdles up in your pleading and in your fasting through Lent as you're pursuing godly and say, Lord, I want you to, to deal with my lust and my covetousness and my greed and my, my, uh, my adultery, my unforgiveness, my bitterness, all these different things that we're asking in Lent. Lord, as, as we give up the, the sugar and the desserts or whatever it is that we're doing, Lord, we really want you. This woman, as she comes pleading, the first thing she gets is she's met by silence. Now, different people read this different ways, and the way I understand it is that the deliverance that she wanted for her daughter to be able to maintain it required a certain level of faith and understanding, and that Jesus drew her out along the way and strengthened her. But a lot of people, when God's silent and he's asking us to, you know, when he says, uh, ask, seek, and knock, in Greek it's present tense. It means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on. Some people, and myself, you know, you know, I've got a little whiner in me. Sometimes, if I hear something like, oh, he doesn't want, I certainly have thought as a younger man, oh, he just doesn't want to bless me. He wants to bless everybody else. I had kind of an Eeyore thing going on. He wants to bless everybody else, but he doesn't want to bless me. And everybody else can hear God, but I can't hear God. Da-da-da-da-da. So he meets her first with silence. Now, one of the reasons, uh, he, which he tells us in a second is, the Bible teaches that God said he was going to the Jew first and then the Gentile. All right, And so there was a foundational part of the mission of which Jesus had to keep the Father's promises and obedience. Uh, so here we go. A Gentile woman, Canaanite woman, who lived there in, Tyre and Sinai, in that area, came to him pleading, have mercy on me. Now, this is amazing. She's asking for help. She's seeking him. Oh, Lord, she recognizes divinity. Son of David uses a Jewish term for his messianic office. Very unusual for the Gentile. She's had some kind of understanding. And she comes, and she's pleading, and she's asking, and she's asking so much that she's annoying the disciples. Some of you know what it's like to have kids when you're on the phone, right? I mean, I don't know. Somehow kids know that if you're on the phone, you know, I can see John, Carl, and Joy. Can we have, uh, you know, when you're on the phone, somehow you're in a weakened state, right? And so they somehow know that. They sense the, the power vacuum is because you're on the phone. And, and so they're asking or, or whatever. And, and, and so she's pleading and, and uh, she's annoying the disciples. But Jesus doesn't answer her. For my daughter, she says, is possessed by a demon. You would think that would get full attention immediately. But again, I'm suggesting that, that Jesus knew that she needed a certain level of faith to maintain, not only to receive, but to maintain the deliverance that she was seeking. For my daughter is possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon that torments her severely. 
23. But Jesus gave her no reply. Now, let's go over it. Jesus ends up delivering her daughter. Sometimes Jesus is silent to draw us out. It's not because he doesn't want to give us what we're seeking, but he is allowing our motivations and our desires to become more sincere and more earnest. Often we go through periods of great trial. I'd love to tell you that I always sought the Lord at 100%. The truth is, it's only on the really bad days that I begin to understand what it meant to pursue God. Uh, it, it, Susie had three cancers. Jo Joy, when she was born, uh, very premature. And, 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 and in the fear for my daughter, I, I, I got to a place of prayer uh, that I haven't been in other days. John Carl was very sick as a young boy. Uh, that drives you. Honestly, I think my kids and Susie caused me to pray more than I was willing to pray for myself. There's something about our children and people that we love that sometimes we will seek God in a different way than we should have been seeking for ourselves. He's silent. He's not silent because the answer is no. He's silent because there is a process as her faith grows. Now let's look at the second stage here. So he gave her no reply, not even a word. Then the disciples urged him to send her away. It appears by the, con you can read it either way. Either they were saying, just get rid of her. Tell her to scram, Jesus. Or they're saying, heal her and send her away. Either, however it was, we, it, I think they were saying, please heal her and get her out of here because she's driving us crazy. Uh, but in any case, tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, do you mean Jesus wasn't always sweet? Jesus said the woman, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. That's my fundamental mission. Remember in Genesis 12, it said, uh, you know, that all the nations will be blessed through Abraham, that, that through the Jews, meaning it's not because they didn't care about the Gentiles, it's a question of the order that God designed, that through his chosen people, the Messiah would come, and that it would go to everybody, but it would happen in a certain order and way, by God's purpose and plan. Now, can you imagine having God say that, or Jesus saying that, then, I hate to say it, by now, I'm quitting. I don't know about you. But once Jesus seemed to indicate, no, or there's more to the story, then a lot of people have a whole lot of quit in them. At least I do. I've had a lot of quit in me. But this woman, she responds in the most profound way. To her begging and pleading, she adds worship. That's a very big insight for us. As we're seeking in this fasting and prayer, and you're asking God to transform your hearts, she pleads with them, and even though she seems to hear what could appear to be a negative answer, it's not, but it could appear to be. And I think he let her dangle a little bit. She continues to plead, but now she worships. She gets down on her knees before him, and she worships him. Listen, a lot of us forget to worship God after he blesses us. The key to faith is to begin to worship before we get the answer. I, I, I mean, sure, uh, we, we, I mean, I hate to say it. The people who wait to worship only after good things come, they don't really know how to worship yet. You, you don't tend to worship very much. It's kind of like just a little thank you, a little hallelujah or something, maybe. But that's not too crazy. When you really get worship, you worship him because of who he is, and you trust him to let it happen. All right? And, you, and, and it's going to get more advanced here in a minute. So she pleads, and then she worships. Look at the text. But she came and worshiped. She's pleading. She keeps going. 
And, and she's pleading again, Lord, help me. But she's worshiping. In your seeking, add worship. In your struggle, add worship. Thank him in advance. Thank you. It's God's will for you. You're saying, I, I, can I tell you how many times I prayed this about lust and all, other stuff? I, I'm like, Lord, the Bible says in the passage today, I memorized as a little boy, so I, had it, I got it in my heart. You desire for me to be holy, and I'm not holy, but that's your desire. So I know when I pray for you to do whatever it takes to get me holy and to deal with this lust or this, I can count on you because I'm not wondering if this is your will. Paul said, it is God's will for you, your sanctification. This is what Jesus came to do, to make us holy. So therefore, I know that's a prayer he's going to answer. I don't know how long I'm going to have to knock and what all the little pieces are that I didn't understand. What are the root causes? There's a whole lot to it, maybe. But she came and worshipped him, pleading, and Lord, help me. And then Jesus says something else. I mean, see, there are things for us to receive and maintain take a different level of faith. Sometimes people, you know, they say people win the lottery, but because they don't have the maturity and ways with money, it all go, they say in five years, the vast majority of people win the lottery are bankrupt. They're worse than they were before they got the money. Now, I always tell Jesus, give me a shot, I'll do better. Um, has, I'm not playing the lottery, but, but nonetheless. It takes some transformation to receive and to hold on to some things. Apparently, this woman and the spirit that was on her daughter, it took a different kind of faith, and so he draws her into a place. She pleads, she worships, and then in her worship, she gets a revelation of the goodness of God. This is the most incredible thing. This is how you know the prayer of faith that heals. Because there's something about seeking God and worshiping God and, and, and going on and on that all of a sudden we get a revelation and a confidence on the goodness of God and we're able to take our eyes off of the bigness of the situation and ourselves and we're able to focus upon the Lord. This is what happened to the Canaanite woman. Jesus says, hey, uh, now people say, well, it was... In Greek, he says, the dominion form of dogs. And, of course, they had stray dogs like you see in lots of places around the world that people just didn't like. And, but they had little house dogs that would sit and eat the children's food on the table like we had this little silly dog, ridiculous dog. And, and um, you know, we talk sweet to him. Oh, sweet logo, go give your Uncle Sean a kiss and all these sorts of things. And Sean's a big dog lover, as you're going to find out. Uh, it's another story for another day. Another healing that we have back there. Uh, but in any case... But in Aramaic, there was no diminutive. This was sort of a harsh word. But he could see what she had in her. And he's calling it out. He, wouldn't, he didn't treat everybody like he did. This woman, he could see, she's got something. And he leads her into it because he's seeing the light. In the worship, he sees the faith and the, word, and, and the revelation. So he says, hey, It's not right to take food from the children, food being the blessing of God meant for Israel, the children, and give them to the dogs, the Gentiles. But because of her asking and seeking and knocking and because of her worship, she gets a revelation of the goodness of God and she doesn't quit and give up. Instead, look what she says. She replied, that's true, Lord, but I know how good you are. Remember man, Ma Mary at the, at the wedding of Cana? She says, it's not my time. She goes, just do what he says. Meaning, I know my boy, I know what he's like. I know he's going to do it. 
Isn't it beautiful? He says, it's not my time. No. She says, just do whatever he says. Canaanite woman says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs can eat the crumbs. And because I know who you are, the crumbs will be more than enough. This is how we grow spiritually. We begin to pursue them. We begin to ask and to seek and to knock. And, and, and often there's a silence. I mean, maybe some of us are lucky. We haven't had a whole lot of silences. But, but days of silence will come. And it doesn't mean that something's wrong. It means he's trusting you to trust him. And so in those silence, we keep asking. And, and then we'd be well to move into worship and begin to praise him for who he is. Not just for what he can do but for who it is. She worships him. And in the, the praying and the worshiping comes the revelation. The revela- now listen, some people, they'd rather be angry and mad and complain. I've known Christians who think of themselves as mature and they stay bitter and angry and competitive and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's a choice. It's a choice. You're not stuck at the desire level. Your spirit has a choice to choose what is better, to apply yourself to holy things, knowing that we're weak, but he's strong. We're conscious of our weakness, so we understand that we got to keep knocking and seeking. But we know, though we have to reach, our reach isn't long enough, but he will meet us by his grace and the power of his spirit. She replied, true Lord. Yeah, the dogs don't deserve it, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. It's only, so what do we pray in our silent prayer? It's a devotion. It's not in the prayer book, but I love the devotion. I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my soul shall be healed. And in the prayer of humble access, specifically quoting this text, specifically the bread of heaven we're seeking in communion. But we recognize uh, just the crumbs will be more than that. We know who we are, and we know who you are, and we have confidence. You're a God whose property is always to have mercy. But you know when we say that in the liturgy this morning, that's after we, we fence the table. He is not going to be merciful to everyone. His property is to have mercy. That's his character. But without a commitment to live in love and charity with our neighbors, without coming with hearty repentance and true faith, we will not receive the blessings of what Jesus wants to do by the Spirit in communion this morning. But for those who come in the... By the time we get there and we come to the prayer of humble access, we have qualified those by whom God will give mercy and not judgment. Those who come by faith, not acknowledging their own sins and wretchedness. Oh, we really need them. We're not worthy. Some people come to me and they'll tell me, and I hate to say it, I've seen people who were in great trouble because they felt so unworthy. And I hate to say it, I'm not a very good priest because, uh, you know, I read a book one time about being paradoxical. So I like to say things, you know me, most of you do, I like to say things that are a little shocking. So some will come and they'll be crying, I feel so unworthy. And I'll say, I'll say, this is my loving pastoral manner. You are unworthy. That's the whole point. Jesus didn't die because we're worthy. He died because we're not worthy. He qualifies us.
by his righteousness. There is a big gap between who I am and the holiness that God requires. And, and, and who's to say how we all measure up? But if, let's say we could see different little graph and there'd be different ones. I, at the end of the day, it's way too high for anybody. But Jesus, by the blood of the cross, by his life, his death, resurrection, ascension, the innumerable benefits, the grace that we need to be saved, to live with him, to walk in the life and the love of Jesus, to be a worshiping people, a transforming agent of his kingdom and this earth, those things are provided in Jesus. But they don't happen, in the very beginning parts of Christian life, everything can be easy. At a certain part, as you grow, it's a, it gets different and, and we have to be engaged and we have to make choices of the will. If you don't make the choice, if you don't differentiate between your mere desire that's just about yourself, where you see life as something to be used for your benefit, when you begin to see, oh, I have higher choice, I can choose love, I can choose relationships and, and decisions that will mean something that's not only good for me, but it's good for the other or others. When we begin to do that, things begin to change. Because we begin to get a vision of who God is and, and the life that he's called us to. We begin to get intent in our efforts because we fail. That's why we got a 40-day season, season of fasting, and, and there's all kinds of failures along the way. But then we learn the skill set, the means, those things which we can do to apply ourselves that by themselves, apart from the Spirit, still wouldn't work, but they're the things that God asks of us because he deserves as our worship our best efforts, even though they will. Can you imagine the humility it takes to say, God wants my best efforts, but they'll never be good enough? To me, that's kind of like there's a part of me that would say, oh, then what's the point? He said, because, Ron, you're going to worship something, worship me. Worship the one being the universe. And he calls me back to say, okay, I cannot focus on my own inadequacies and imperfections. I can't go back to some kind of self-righteousness that makes me think, if I can't do it right the first time, it's not worth doing. No, no. He tells me, look, it ain't going to happen in just a day, but, but if you'll keep asking, seeking, and knocking, as you worship, as you pursue me, the revelation of who I am will come, and in that revelation, you'll begin to encounter me in deeper and deeper ways, and you'll be transformed. You know what's amazing? If you could take a look at me today, now, I don't know, maybe because my weight's the same, maybe if you don't know me that well, I may look the same. You know, I don't know what it looked like to go video of 10 years ago. I can tell you on the inside, in all the thoughts and things that you can't see, I can tell you those are profoundly different than 10 years ago. The amazing thing is, as much as I grow, there always seems to be plenty more for him to do. But I can tell you, I have changed massively by his grace. Don't let anything talk you out of the great things that God has already done. Enjoy and celebrate all the things you learned thus far. Don't be discouraged by the fact there's still more to do until we see him as we are. The beatific vision. Until we see him as he is and we're like him, there's going to be room for growth. The universe is set up to cause us to not be able to reach far enough so that we will pursue him, worship him, get the revelation of him, and then grow by his grace. We'll get there. That's what he's trying to do with us. And just as soon... As you learn, he, he stretches us further because we were created to worship. We were created to live in the life of Jesus. And the Canaanite woman gives us this beautiful pattern.
an absolute confidence in who he is as the Messiah and the Lord. A calling that out, but it had to grow even more. A silence that doesn't thwart her. The first hurdle, she continues to pursue. Jesus tells about the mission, tells about his priorities. It wasn't her priority. Her priority was my daughter first. Jesus had a different priority, the Jew first and the Gentile. Then he says, hey, this is the order of things. This is the economy of the kingdom. And she says, okay, I can, I can buy that. But if the economy of the kingdom is the Gentiles, don't get to sit there yet at the covenant table. The crumbs will be more than enough. What a beautiful insight. Only could have happened along the way. Now she has the insight that can receive the deliverance of an evil spirit that's tormenting her daughter and walk and maintain it. Even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Now this is what Jesus wants to say to me and you. And he's been saying it to some of you. Some of us, when we hear the good things, we think, oh, that can't be God, because that's what I want to hear. Some of you are doing a really good job, and he's saying, dear woman, your faith is great. You're really growing. You're doing fantastic. I had a really hard time enjoying my spiritual life because I could always see there was going to be more. One time he showed me a, uh, he showed me a picture of Joy's uh, homework. She must have been in first or second, I don't know, when, when do you do like two plus two or whatever? I don't know what grade that is, kindergarten, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not good at math. I was doing that like in ninth grade, but whatever, whatever age you're supposed to do that. And it was on the refrigerator, and I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting the, the, the uh, it, was a different, it was my house in Lamart Woods, uh, a house ago, and I was sitting in the little kitchen nook area there, and uh, he's like, I'll look up there, and he said, what do you think about that paper? And it was like a, you know, A and a smiley face, or whatever it was, and, and she had done all the, you know, two plus two, four, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, what do you think about that? I'm thinking, that's my daughter, she's bright, she's got, hey, this is a good girl. He said, yeah, but it's not calculus. I'm like, yeah, but she's only in first grade. He said, that's, or whatever grade it was, he says, that's how I feel about you. The problem with you, Ron, is you're not able to enjoy that I take pleasure in where you are today because you fit your eyes on tomorrow. Enjoy the fact that you're doing well for right now, even though you will grow for tomorrow. You'll grow the next day, next year. Don't get all focused out there so the devil robs you of the joy of what God is doing in and through you right now. Dear woman, greatest. I mean, can you imagine? She had to learn a whole lot more faith. That was her first demon. But I said, Grace, your faith. You're really getting it. You pursue me. And in the pursuit, you worship me before you got your answer. And your heart's opening up and you're, and you're getting, when you're worship, you're beginning to see who I am. And, and that's causing you to see that I'm good and therefore that all these hurdles are not a no. They're a way for you to actually receive the bigness of what you want and that I've promised you uh, to give. What a profound thing. That's what Jesus is doing with you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray for those who have a hard time pursuing you because they know their best efforts aren't enough. And the devil has caused that to shut them down. Ones who don't hear your voice, they don't necessarily obey the voice either, but they don't hear the voice. And, and sometimes, Lord, it's because they're not obeying, but the other times it's because sometimes you're silent to draw us and to call us uh, to, to, to intensify our pursuit of you. Lord, I pray for those who we, we have a hard time sometimes, Lord, worship you in the midst of the battle. 
We think somehow we got to grit our teeth and, and clench our fists, and, and the reality is we got to worship and focus on who you are. Not the battle, not the need, but who you are. Lord, we thank you that as we ask and seek and knock, Lord, you, you give it, you open, you provide. You answer, Lord. I pray that you would give us the tenacity and the fortitude to pursue our best, even though it's pretty pitiful. But Lord, that we would do our best. That you would give us the revelation, understanding of your goodness and your love. And that by faith, that we would grow and become the holy people that you've called us. Thank you for this lady, Lord. Thank you for the way she applied herself, the kind of person that she was. That she could inherit your kingdom uh, and this incredible healing for the daughter that she loved. Lord, we pray for ourselves and for our family and the people that we love and for this broken world that you died for. I pray, Lord, that we would grow in this same sort of way, Lord, and that we would be a light in this generation. Oh, it's a dark world, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust you and, uh, and to do our part and, and then have a heart to receive. We ask these things in the most wonderful, the most precious name, the name of Jesus, and the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.